Today's reading is taken from Galatians 3:10 to 14. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, The person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. I had a professor named Dr. Benson who sounded exactly like, who sounds exactly like um, Ja. He's got a great voice, but it always sounds like, I'm sorry, Ja, it sounds like you're just about a burp away from going high, one pitch higher. But anyway, let's pray that God will speak to us this morning. Lord, we thank you so much that you are a speaking God, and we thank you that you are a God of grace, and we pray that you will speak your grace to each one of us, that we might know you more fully this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe. Maybe could we move it to be closer? So we are have we have another. Uh, we're working with a, a bit more of a tech, 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 technology trouble, and it will be done. It'll be solved by next week. But um, thanks, Adrian. That's good. The way it was before. Yeah. Thank you. Um. The season of Lent has started uh, this past Wednesday with Ash Wednesday. And many people around the world uh, will have picked up a spiritual discipline, like giving up your chocolate. Or ironically, many people, many of my friends declared on Facebook that they will go on a Facebook uh, fast for 40 days. Uh, Mary thinks I watch too much YouTube videos, and so I'm forbidden from watching YouTube videos over this uh, Lenten season, and I'll work on reading more and writing a bit more. So I wondered if any of you um, have given up something for Lent or picked up a spiritual discipline. You don't have to raise your hands. You don't have to shout it out. But I wonder if there are any of you who started this but already broke your Lenten fast. It's terrible how weak-willed we are. Um, doing something or not doing something, even just for 40 days, is actually very difficult. I imagine what has even worse a track record is making New Year's resolutions. New, New, New Year's resolutions, like um, Calvin in this cartoon. I think there's nothing for me to change, and so therefore I don't make New Year's resolutions. Uh, but the world... That's supposed to be funny, but I guess I'll work on it. Um, and I thought it was really funny. I'm not sure why you aren't laughing. Um, 
uh, people make, people around the world are making New Year's resolutions, exercising more, praying more, being more selfless, or reading more, and so on. But we often can't stick with our New Year's resolutions, can we, for more than a few weeks? We know we should, but we just can't seem to do it. We know what is right and wrong, but we can't seem to go ahead and do it, stick with it. I think something like that is what's happening, what's behind in verse 10. Take a look at verse 10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything in the book of the law, quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 27. Paul certainly not saying that the law itself is bad. That, after all, God gave them and the laws express God's character, who God is. I mean, think about the laws. Honor your parents. Um, do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not be envious. Or love one and the only God. Do not worship idols. Don't use his name in vain. Uh, keep the Sabbath holy. Or these are all good things. And we should keep them. Laws are good. But if... We are of the law, verse 10, or as NIV translated, if we rely on the law, if we depend on our obedience to the law uh, to be made righteous before God, then what Paul is saying is we're doomed. We are doomed. We are under a curse. And Paul makes the reason very clear in that verse. If one is under the law, one has to do everything in the law. And of course, doing Everything in the law is impossible. As we've seen, it's hard enough to pick up one spiritual discipline for 40 days or stick with New Year's resolution for more than a few weeks. It's impossible to live our life, a lifetime, in our sinful bodies with our weak and sinful desires, in this sinful world with so much temptations. It, It is impossible to continue to do all the things that the law requires us to do. Therefore, verse 11 Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God. No one who relies on the law is justified before God. And the logic just doesn't, doesn't just apply to the Jewish people who had the written law given to them, but everyone in the world. Paul in Romans 2 says, actually, that this law uh, is written in our hearts and conscience. Our conscience also bear witness to them. And that's the problem. Whatever your standards are, we all have some form of the law in our hearts. Our conscience testifies to them. Even people who are not Christian, even people who are outside of of these walls, they have the law in their hearts. But whatever the law they subscribe to, whether it's the Ten Commandments or whatever the conscience testifies to, they cannot obey. They cannot do it. We say to ourselves, all of us, we shouldn't lie, but we lie. Our conscience testifies that we shouldn't steal, but we steal. We know that we shouldn't cheat, but we've cheated. We know that we shouldn't be unfair, but we play favorites all the time. Whatever your measuring stick is, whether that is from the Bible or whatever is in your heart, whatever your measuring stick is, we do not measure up. We are all doomed. We are found inadequate. We are under a curse. And Christianity is remarkably damning um, when it comes to this condition. The Bible says we are sinners. Christ says he's come for the sinners. Paul says that we are all under a curse. And compare this, for example, to the vision of Hinduism. In a lecture before the Parliament of Religion in Chicago in 1893, 
Swami Vivekananda said, Hindu refuses to call you sinners. You are children of God, the sharers of, of immortal bliss, holy and perfect being. You divinities on earth, sinners, it is a sin to call you a sinner. It is standing liable against, uh, on human nature. You see, Hindus say, uh, Hindus say that you are not sinners. That it is a sin to call you a sinner. That you are gods on earth, sharers of divine nature. And they're eternally optimistic about who we are, what our human nature is. That fervent optimism isn't, optimism isn't shared by everybody on, on, on earth, but all religions uh, share that optimism. Not, not, maybe not that um, uh, passionate optimism like the Hindus, but uh, most religions say that our human natures are pretty good. Buddhism, for example, teaches that we can get better on our own. Maybe not in one lifetime, but over many lifetimes. What that means is that you have the ability to improve if you keep on working on it. Muslims believe our salvation depends on our obedience to Quran, as if we can obey the Quran. It, it makes it, if, if it says salvation depends on your obedience, it means that you, uh, they're saying that you have the ability to continue to obey God. Christianity is certainly different. If at the, the gate of heaven God asks, why should I let you in to eternal life with me? And your answer is, well, I've lived a good life. That answer would be damning. Because God will take out whatever measuring stick that you have used. Whatever measuring stick you have used, and then God will show you how you have fallen short of that measuring stick. We all fall short of not even God's standards, but our own standards. Cursed is everyone who rely on the works of the law. But then there are many people who try. The great reformer Martin Luther in the 16th century tried as much as he could. He became a monk and was, he was obsessed with the uh, law of God and even uh, the, 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 the order of the um, um, of the community. He went far beyond these laws, often fasting for three days, going uh, without sleep in, in, in cold nights. Looking back, he said, if I was a monk, I was a good monk, and I kept the rule of my order so strictly that I may say that if ever a monk got into heaven by his monkery, it was I. But he con- constantly struggled with his shortcomings. He's continue, he goes on to say, Yet my conscience would never give me assurance. But I was always doubting and said, you did not perform that correctly. You were not contrite enough. You left that out of your confession. He once spent six hours in confession, confessing all his sins. And then his confessor actually had to tell him to stop and go home. And he continues, I was myself more than once driven to the very abyss of despair so that I wished I had never been created. Love God? I hated him. He couldn't meet God's standards. And it's not just Luther. There are many of us who try to meet God's standards and go away depressed, unable to meet God's laws, constantly disappointed, and our inability to continue to obey God's laws. If we rely on the law, we are under a curse, for we cannot do this on our own. And apart from God's grace, that's the condition for all of us. All of us, whether they know it or not. 
There are only two ways of living, relying on God and His grace or on ourselves. If we do not rely on Christ, we are relying on the law, obedience to the law, to the works of our hands. We are under a curse. And that's why I think maybe humility is the mark of Christian. Because we realize, all Christians realize, that we cannot do this on our own. That we are, in the end, sinners in need of God's grace. We are under a curse. But this is where also Christianity is most remarkable. Look down to verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on on a pole. It says Christ became a curse for us. For he hung, he was hung on on a tree, the cross of Christ. And the reason is clear. He became a a curse for us. It's not that he deserved this curse. It's not that he um, was under a curse. He was the only one who can stand before God justified by his works. He deserved the blessings promised not in Deuteronomy 27, but Deuteronomy chapter 28. But instead of enjoying the blessings, he took the place of, of, um, of, of curse. Because we stood under the curse, we could not be justified and declared righteous before God on our own. He took our place, and that was substitution. And this concept of substitution has been foreshadowed um, throughout the Old Testament, throughout the Bible. For example, it's in Genesis chapter 3. It's in Genesis chapter 3. When God kills an animal to clothe Adam and Eve and to cover their shame. Uh, it's in Passover when the lambs were killed and their blood was posted on the door so that the death might pass over us, so that we might be saved. Something dies in order, to be, in order for us to be saved. In Leviticus chapter 7 where God describes the day of atonement and how we will be forgiven of our sins. The, the scapegoat, um, the, people lay, uh, the priests hand, uh, lay their hands on the scapegoat confessing their sins and it's sent out to die uh, in the desert and the bull and the lamb is then sacrificed and the blood then sprinkled over the Ark of the Covenant so that our sins might be forgiven. It's foreshadowed in Isaiah chapter 53, the prophecy of the suffering servant. It is through the substitution we're saved. It's because someone, something takes away our sin. We are saved. And all that happened in the Old Testament was just a foreshadowing of what's to come in Jesus Christ because death of an animal does not uh, actually forgive sins. It pointed forward to the real substitutionary sacrifice that only Christ could give us. This is how John Stott put it in his uh, classic, A Cross of Christ. The concept of substitution may be said, then to lie... To lie at the, at the heart of both sin and salvation. For the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. God sacrifices himself for men and puts himself where only man deserves to be. Man claims prerogative that belongs to God alone. God accepts penalties that belong to man alone. Substitution is at the heart of both sin and salvation. Sin is us being in the place of God. 
saying that I want to be like God. It's putting ourselves in the place of God. Salvation is God putting himself in our place, in the place of curse. That's why um, I think this salva- this, this, this salvation is so moving. Uh, in the 20th century, we, um, the, uh, for example, a heroism of Father Maximilian, uh, Maximilian uh, Kolbe, the Polish Franciscan in Auschwitz, um, he was in Auschwitz um, when a number of prisoners were selected uh, for execution. One of them uh, shouted, saying, Well, I'm married and I have children. Uh, Father Colby stepped forward and asked if he could take the place of the condemned man. His offer was accepted by the authorities, and he was placed in an underground cell, and he starved um, and died. Well, that person who took our place under the curse was Christ, was this sinless God. He became a curse for us so that we might be redeemed. So if you're like Luther, struggling with your sin, with sense of inadequacy, please know that you are redeemed, that God took your place of curse so that you, might, you don't have to struggle on your own, that you don't have to struggle with being in that place of curse. God took your place, and we can receive this through faith in Christ Jesus. And when Luther discovered this in verse 11, the phrase that righteous will live by faith, that phrase, his life was changed. This is what he writes. I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors in paradise. The whole of scripture took on a new meaning, whereas before the justice of God had filled me with hate. Now it became to me inexpressibly sweet in greater love. This passage of Paul became, uh, came, became to me a gate to heaven. Righteousness of God, the justice of God filled him with hate because he couldn't meet those standards. But now, now that he understood that Christ took his place and gave him what he deserved, what, what Christ deserves for him, how Christ became a curse for him, then he understood that his life was completely changed. His heart was filled with love instead of hate. And I hope, I hope you know and understand this grace. I hope you know that you don't have to struggle with your sinful nature. For your standing before God does not depend on how well you obey God's laws. But your standing before God depends on how Christ obeyed. He has taken away that curse for you, for he hung on that cross on our behalf. While this is the greatest news for all those who come and understand and accept this grace, this concept of substitution or grace might actually be the one that's keeping you away from Christ. In some ways, this is the most prickly part of Christianity as well. Many people refuse to accept grace because accepting that Christ died for you and was hung on that cross for you means accepting the fact that they deserve that place. It's admitting that they are sinners before God. It means that they're admitting that their heart is wicked, that it is not good enough to earn their own salvation. So a lot of people keep uh, salvation at arm's distance because they want to say, I am righteous, I can do this on my own. 
in a novel called Wise Blood, a Flannery O'Connor says, one of the characters, Hazel Moat, there, that there was this deep, black, wordless conviction in him that the way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin. Isn't that interesting? The way to avoid Jesus is to avoid sin. The character says, if I don't sin, then I don't need a savior. If I'm righteous on my own, then I don't need Christ's righteousness. Friends, the death of Jesus is only good news for all, only for those who admit that they need their salvation. That righteousness cannot be won on our own, but is given through Christ alone. That Christ became a curse for us. And that Christ took that place of curse is great news. But actually, that's not the end of the picture of salvation. The picture of salvation that's given to us is much greater than that. Take a look at verse 14. Instead of a curse, we're given blessing. Paul put it in verse 14. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to Gentiles through Christ. Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. That word, in order that, and so that are very important because it describes the reason why all these things before came, isn't it? Christ redeemed us in order that we might receive the blessings. So not only do we not receive the curse, we actually receive Christ's blessings. We receive blessings of, 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 of Abraham. Well, if you're asking what is this blessing, well, it was found in, uh, last week in verse 6. The righteousness that comes by faith alone. We are given this righteousness. Christ paid the price so that we could be given this righteousness. And not only that, in this salvation, this righteousness is not given just to, uh, the, to, to uh, one group of people on earth, Jewish people, but all to the Gentiles as well. Think about it. Before Christ's death, atoning death, if one were to come to know God's grace, they had to become a Jew. They had to get circumcised. They had to go to the temple. They have to continue to offer these sacrifices in order to know Yahweh's forgiveness. But now that Christ died on the cross, the news could simply be proclaimed and people could simply believe in this good news. It's not limited to the Jews alone, but all to every Gentile, all the nations on earth. People can receive this grace by listening and trusting in Jesus alone. And this, in fact, ushers in an entirely new era, new era, a different and better covenant with God. And that a new era had begun was confirmed because when people believed, the Holy Spirit was sent. Holy Spirit was sent. That's what Paul talks about at the, um, uh, in verse 14. So that by faith we might receive the promised promise of the Holy Spirit. And Paul will talk more about this, what this means in chapter 5. But it, it suffice for now to say that the Holy Spirit comes and brings us into a new way of being with God. Not only do we, uh, do we have the law, written law, but the Spirit comes to our hearts and impresses upon our hearts God's will for us. And not only that, do we have the Holy Spirit with us? He will then empower us to obey God. We become a new creation. We become a new people. We become people who are able to obey and love God. Righteousness 
that, that legal justification, legal standing before God, we've been declared righteous. And that reconciliation, now that Christ has died, is not just uh, proclaimed to the Jews only, but all the, to all the nations on earth. All the nations on earth will be reconciled to him. And now that this has come, the Holy Spirit has been poured out to each one of us when we believed that we might become a new people. So this is... All very important, if you started with your Christian life with faith, with grace, but you started to believe for various reasons that you are not forgivable, or that your sin in your life is too grave, that God's standard is too difficult to meet, then, friends, you've added to faith. You've added to Christ's work. Please remind yourself that although we deserve that curse, Christ took your place in the place of curse. That only through faith, Christ, uh, only, only through faith in Christ, that righteousness and assurance of salvation can be given. And if you are those who are struggling or you are exploring the Christian faith and you don't know this grace yet, you're still trying to work out your salvation on your own. In your heart, you're saying, well, if I try hard and hard enough, then God will have to let me in because I am a good person. Friends, you are under a curse. And you will always be if left on your own. So come to the cross where Jesus was crucified. There you will find God who became a curse for you. You will find redemption grace and the power of the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that so, so much of our life it is lived as if our righteousness, our standing before you depends on our works. And Lord, we pray that you would fill us with your spirit and that you would fill us with the conviction of the spirit, not only of our guilt, but Lord, of the righteousness and of the grace that Christ gives us. And we pray that as we started with faith, our Christian life with faith, Lord, until the day we die, we will hold on to this faith and to grace and the righteousness of Christ. And we will always be assured that you are the one who paid our price. Lord, thank you for becoming a curse for us, that we might receive your blessings. Help us to hold on to this. And for those of us who are um, exploring, and Lord, we pray that you will help them to realize that they are under a curse, that they could be saved through the grace of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's time of offering. Um